it's, it's an interesting journey that takes place in deciding whether to have services or not. You know, first we, we said we're going to do dinner on the grounds, and then it was like, man, maybe we'll cancel the dinner on the grounds so that people aren't preparing. And, and I got up this morning and I thought, man, I shouldn't have canceled tonight. I question every decision about this. And then I go out and my, my truck wouldn't start. It needed some extra attention. And then I'd call around of people in various areas, some checking, and, and then others are calling. We're planning to come, but this and this and this and this this morning. And, and I'm usually the one telling Marilyn, don't look in the rearview mirror. This morning she's telling me, don't look in the rearview mirror if, if this is what God told you to do. But I was reminded the story of really a bad storm similar to what we had. And, and the preacher made his way to the church and thought, well, nobody will be here. And, and opened it up and got a fire going. And, and I mentioned... We were talking yesterday. I can remember when my dad would go to the church and build the fire and get things going. I thought, man, we're so spoiled. Um, did your heated seat work on your way to church today? You know, I mean, all these things. Um, but the, guy, the preacher went in and waited and waited and, and one old boy stumbled in. And and he said, well, you're here, let's have church. And man, he got up and preached like there were a thousand people there and just really let him have it. And, and at the end of the service, the old boy said, you know, I, I feed my cattle every day. But he said, when only one of the cows show up, I don't give them the whole bale. <laughs> well, there's more than one of you here today, all right? And um, it's, it's interesting as you go through these various highs and lows of life and of just even getting here today, um, to know that God has a purpose for us being here today and for others that aren't here. But I believe God's directed us today to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 18. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy... By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife. Well, that's what I'm going off memory here. 
Let nothing be done through selfish mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for the privilege to meet. Thank you for the safety you've given in travel here. And we do think of those that are not able to be with us for various reasons. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that they would draw near to you today and find fellowship with you to be sweet indeed in their lives. And Lord, we pause now to ask your Spirit to do the ministering in our lives. We do live in the midst, as Paul said, of a crooked and perverse generation that we are a part of. And Lord, yet you've called us to represent you in this world. And so I pray that you'd use this time to equip us to that end and empower us and encourage us for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned just now in the prayer, Paul was writing to these believers and he from prison, but he's writing to them and he says, I know you live in a wicked, a crooked and perverse people. I, I'm not even going to go there and deal with that. But our nation, our world is that today, but it's not anything new or different. 
It's not anything like, woe is me. This is something that's never been faced before. But he is writing to them and he's giving them instruction on how they can be effective in this time. And in the first part of chapter 2, he's really dealing with them dwelling together as believers in unity, being like-minded, have the same love, be of one accord, of one mind. And then he says, and this is the mind that you ought to have, the mind that was in Christ Jesus. That even though he was God, he was willing to humble himself. So he's saying, you need to have a humble spirit. Christ came to serve, that we came to serve, we are here to serve. And then he says, therefore, verse 12. Well, the therefore is a reflection back on a couple of things. One, that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he says also, therefore, because of that, remember that Christ suffered, but he, he was vindicated in his suffering and he will be exalted. So Paul's saying, remember, every knee will bow. We will be accountable to God. Every knee will bow and acknowledge that he is Lord. And remember that any suffering for Christ in Christ will be vindicated. So he says, in light of that, as you have always obeyed, not just when I'm with you, but when I'm away, he then says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you know, that doesn't mean I I have to figure out how I'm going to get saved. It is a reference to this that God has put in us through faith in Jesus Christ's salvation. It is in us. He has entrusted to us the gospel. And that is in us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And he says, I don't want that to be in vain. I want it to work out of your life. I want it to flow from your life. And Paul was very, very much aware that the grace of God, the work of God that he's put in our life can be in vain. Meaning his grace is given to empower us to do great things. But if it's never worked out of our life, it's wasted. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But he went on and added, But his grace that was given to me was not in vain, because I labored more abundantly than others. So he's saying, God gave me the grace, but it wasn't given in vain. It's not wasted. Why? Because with God's grace, I combined my obedience, my labor, my commitment to God. And because of that, His grace was not in vain. 
And he warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, I beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So, he's saying you've been put in trust with the gospel. If you're here today as a believer, God has put you in trust with the gospel. He's given you the good news of Jesus Christ. He's given you the Spirit of God. He's given you the grace of God. That's dwelling within you. He says, now, let that work out of your life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not going to spend time on this, but the fear and trembling part is, wow, I have been given this gospel, and I am going to someday give an account to God for what I've done with it. Not just, did you receive Jesus Christ? But, yes, I received Jesus Christ. Now, how has that changed your life? What have you done with the gospel in your own life? And he said, that ought to make us to realize, I'm going to give an account to God with what I've done with this great trust that he has given me. So, we want to look this morning at how to work out your, your salvation. Number one, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In order for your salvation to be worked out of you, you need to realize God is doing a work in you. God is writing a story for His glory in your life. And every event and every circumstance in your life has a purpose. And you may be listening today and say, you don't know what's in my past. You don't know this or that about me or I'm... God may be writing a story, but it's, it's not a good story. Before you say you are not qualified, did you ever stop to think Abraham was too old, Noah got drunk, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob lied, Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and not a good communicator. Gideon was afraid. Samson was also afraid and a deceiver and a friend of the world. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were way too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal, battled depression. Isaiah preached naked. Don't worry, that's not going to happen, all right? (laughs) It's amazing what gets amens, isn't it? 
Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist, long before they were trying to push eating bugs on us, John the Baptist was eating insects, all right? Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had a stomach problem, probably an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. You're not dead, are you? See, you think, and this is what Satan wants us to think this great work that God's put in, in this vessel, this earthen vessel, well, I'm glad he saved me, but God can't use me. And we fill in the blanks why God can't. No, because you're still here and still alive, God has a purpose for you, and it is God who is at work in you, not someone else. It, it's God working in you. And He gives you the will and the power to do it. I really believe many times that we don't understand, we don't believe our story is important. This last last summer we we dealt with thinking about our story. Well, it isn't just our history that I was born here and lived here and moved here and and prayed to ask Jesus. But everything in our life, God wants to use it. And and there are things that we, you know, think, I don't see how He can use this. But God is able to take everything and build it. And your, insto- your story involves you, but it's about God. It's not about us. We're just the vehicle. He's writing the story in our lives and He's putting things in our lives and, and He's building it and we're all made differently. And He writes the story and the story is written to be told. You don't write a story and just bury it. And what He's doing... It is God who is at work in you. And He's doing that work so that that work can be revealed. Your story, He intends to be told. That's why we need to think about the things God has done in our life. That's why we need to review how God has brought us through valleys and review the mountaintop experiences and review the lessons that we've learned and understand, as we sang earlier, He will hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. You might not delight in yourself. And you may say, I would have written a different story, but God delights in you and in what He's producing in your life, and He wants your story to be told. 
He doesn't just save us to say, okay, I saved him, so sit tight until I come again. He's designing a masterpiece in you. And as we've read a number of Bible characters of, of their life and their mess-ups, that's the grace of God. He takes the things in our life, and that's a part of the story, and He makes it for God's glory. That's why you need to review your story, what God has, has done. You need to learn other stories and then share God's story in your, from your life to bless others. So, you first of all have to realize God is at work in me. If I am a child of God, God is at work in me. Number two, notice what he says. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, he's telling them how to live in a crooked and perverse nation. And he says, verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Murmuring or complaining that you may become the blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation. So, if we were making a list, we probably wouldn't put this in, but he slides right in there, something so practical and down to earth, do all things without complaining. In other words, Focus on what you can control and quit complaining about what you can't control. When I, my first year in, in Bible college, they, they had a rule that was plastered everywhere. Griping will not be tolerated. And, and I always said, I'm not griping, I'm just telling the truth. It's the truth. Why would you eat cream of wheat with gravy on it at a meal? Grits and gravy. Ah, oh, that's disgusting. And I wasn't griping. I was just telling the truth. No, I was griping. We need to always speak the truth, but we don't need to... Say everything that is true. And the things that are out of your control and my control, why am I complaining about it? If there's nothing I can do about it. And this is where Satan gets us. We all complain about things that we can do nothing about to keep us from doing what we can do something about. I mean, the list of things that, that you can't control is really endless. But you can't control other people, so why are you complaining about them? You can't control their opinion of you. You can't control their actions. You can't control their mistakes. You can't control adversity. 
You can't control politicians. I mean, think about, think about the things you talk about. How many of them that, that we complain about is completely out of our control? Then why are we even talking about it? That takes us away from being what God wants us to be in this. But I can control my thoughts. I can control my words. I can control my attitude. I can control my effort. I can control my actions. I can control my behavior. And he says here, do all things without complaining and disputing. And in verse 13 and 14, he mentions do two times. It is God who works in you both to will and to do. Because faith is evidenced by action, by doing. He gives us the will to do. And he then says, and when you're doing it, don't complain about it. Do not be a griper. Do not be a complainer. Why? If we do not complain, we will stand out in the midst of this world. It's easy to complain. Everybody complains. I mean... We'll be complaining about how cold it is and how much snow there is and the price of everything and it's out of your control. So what good does it do? And this he's saying, you're living in this world and we want this salvation to come out of you and affect others, but it won't if you're complaining. So think about do I have any control over this? No. What do I have control over? I have control over what I'm thinking. I don't have control over that person, but I have control over what I'm thinking about that person. I have control over that. So he says, focus on what you can control and quit complaining about the things out of your control. Then notice verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says we are to live as children of God. Many of you grew up and your parents said something to you along this line. When you were going somewhere, remember whose kid you are. Remember what your name is and don't do anything to reflect bad on that. Most parents get most upset at the behavior of their kids when it makes them the parent looked bad. When it's at home, 
and and they're eating like a pig, ah, they live with it. Because it's like, it's just us. But when they go out and they eat like a pig in front of mind your manners. Ah, this is how I always eat, you know. Why? Because it reflects on us. As a child of God, our behavior reflects on our Father. And so he says, I want you to live in a manner that reflects well on the Father. Um, I forget where I read it but and who it was, but they said, we want to live in such a manner to make God look good. God already is good. But they're seeing Him through us. And to live as a child of God, He gives a description that you would be blameless. That, that you strive to live in such a manner that there's nothing in your life that people could point to and say, that is wrong. How do you claim to be a Christian? That isn't the right attitude. Now, we're not perfect, so when we fall or fail in this area, we make it right and get up and go on, and that's a blameless life. He then says, it it uses the word harmless or without rebuke. The... In the original language, it it really means pure, unadulterated, it's single-minded. And then without blemish in the fact, the, the picture that is painted here is the absence of defects in a sacrificial animal that's offered to God. I want to offer to God the very best. I don't want to bring a defective animal and say, yeah, that's good enough for you. I want to offer him the very best. I want to be the best for the Father. And in so doing it, I am living for the Father. So it's, it's coming to realize this is a great treasure God's put in me. And he's called me into the midst of this wicked and perverse world and I I want to show them how great God is. I want to show them that I serve a different master and a better master so they can come to know our great Savior. And the way we do it is let this salvation work out of our life. That we're not complaining that we're trying to live in a manner that's blameless and and not double standard, not a double life. We're we're trying to to reflect well on the Father. Because we ought to. Have you have you ever have you ever noticed someone and you said you must be so-and-so's son. You hadn't put the two together, and, and you realized they had the exact same expressions or they had the same stride in their walk. I mean, whether we like it or not, we bear the resemblances of, um, 
of our parents. There's times I look in the mirror and I go, whoa. I see parts of my mother and parts of my father. When I first started preaching, there was a man that sat in the third row, sat with his hands like this, and his last name was Lavely. Look at this. I'm not kidding you. This is just like Don Lavely. Not in every area, but I didn't even think about it till right when I'm saying this. And didn't he sit in the third row right there, right on the aisle? And did... We ought to bear the characteristics of our Father. And that's what the world desperately needs to see Christ. And, and so God will allow us in writing our story, he'll put us in situations that we wouldn't have chosen. But he says, here's a great opportunity for you to show me in this adversity. And living like a child of God will be noticed in this world. It will make a difference. It will bring hope. It will bring healing. It will bring comfort. What the world desperately needs. So he says, realize God is at work in you and cooperate with his work. Focus on what you can control and quit complaining. Live as a child of God and then notice if you'd look in verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Holding fast or holding forth the word of God, that it all comes down to this. Be true to the word of God. The word of God is our standard. It's our hope. It's where we get power to live. It's our comfort. The Word of God is everything. So, my relationship to the Word of God is going to determine how much I'm like the Father. And Paul's saying, I'm writing this to you and he, he gives these advice to the, this advice to them, and, and he's saying, I want you to make sure you hold the Word of God because this is what we're going to be tested by. This is what we're going to be measured against. It's just not, oh, I, I, I think this is good enough. No, what does God's Word say? I, I can remember Marilyn's dad saying, our, our people were, were our heritage. He said, our people were a Bible-carrying people. Meaning, not just that they carried the Bible, that the Bible was the standard for their life. Meaning that they were known not just carrying the Bible, but submitting to the Bible and living the Word of God. If there's one thing you want to be known for, 
it's they are committed to the Bible. Nothing else matters. And not just committed here, but committed that we live it out. And so he's saying his burden, his great burden for them is, is that they would really work out their salvation. You notice he didn't go on and on about how bad the world was. Or how corrupt everything was. He said, we know that. That's why we're here. But get the salt out of the salt shaker. Work out your salvation. And do it realizing God is doing a work in you. And you have a story. We sing the little song, this little light of mine. Hide it under a bushel. Oh, we, we think it's so cute for the kids. But we're hiding our story. And, and God says, no, I am writing a story in your life that I want to, you to be used to touch others. So we ask, are you a child of God? Truly, are you a child of God? And then, are you living like it? Are you in conscious in your mind? I want to reflect well on you, Father. I want to reflect well on you. And then we ask, is the Word of God the controlling factor in your life? In your life, is the Word of God what determines your thoughts And then we ask, are you a complainer or a doer? Think back. What you talk about. Do you complain about problems or do you find solutions? Are you a doer? And then, are you letting God write your story And are you willing to tell your story as God gives you the opportunity? Uh, Have you said, God, here's my life. You're the author of it physically. And here's my spiritual life. You're the author of it. And I've been trying to take control. And God, I'm giving you control. You write my story And you empower me to tell it. Use it in other people's lives. And don't limit God. Some of you are already thinking, I have nothing to help anybody. That is a lie. If that were true, you'd be dead. God would be done with you. But you're not. You're still here. And He wants to use your life. We're not here to just sit and wait. And Paul was writing and he says, this is what we must do. We must work out our salvation, get it out and let it touch people's lives and make a difference. Because somebody did that to your life, to your forefathers, whatever. And this is what we must do. And Paul said, we live in the midst of a wicked generation. Nothing new there. 
But our job is to reflect the Father. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help every one of us today to allow your Spirit to examine our lives. And Lord, um, there may be some listening that really aren't a child of yours. I pray that, that today they really would realize their need of forgiveness and call upon you. Lord, undoubtedly there's some that have believed the devil's lie that my story isn't worth telling and I'm glad God saved me, but the sooner we get to heaven the better. Lord, help them to see that you want to use them, that you are writing something very, very important in their life. And I pray that they would know the joy of of submitting to you and yielding to you and seeing you work in their life and then through their life. Lord, may all of us have a renewed commitment to your word. And may we make you a glad father. Lord, may we reflect truly on you in a good manner that others would see our good works and glorify you, our Father. We thank you for this great privilege that you have entrusted to us the gospel. What a trust. What a treasure. And Lord, help us to depend on your grace and your power to see you work. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.